I want to say a happy Mother's Day to all you moms who are with us this morning, all you moms who may be joining us online. Uh, your Mother's Day is, for the most part, a time of great joy and celebration for most people, but at the same time, it's difficult for some. This is the second Mother's Day for my brothers and sisters and I uh, since our mother passed away. She died in August of 2015. The truth is, even though uh, it's just been a a little bit less than two years since she's been gone, Alzheimer's took her away from us a long time before that. The last couple times I saw her, she didn't know who I was. She never got a chance to meet her great-grandchildren. She did meet our oldest, Grace, one day, but by that time, she didn't know who we were. We met at a park, and she just thought she was having a nice day out and enjoyed that little red-headed girl that was there also. But it reminds me that the pain of that reminds me that Mother's Day is difficult for some for a variety of different reasons. Maybe you have painful memories of your mom. Maybe there's an emptiness in your heart because you never had the relationship with her that you always longed for. Uh, maybe it uh, is that she's gone. Maybe this is your first Mother's Day without her. There's going to be an empty chair at the table today, and that's difficult. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's singleness. You always long to get married and have family, but so far, that's not been a part of God's plan for your life. Whatever it might be, I know that Mother's Day is difficult and painful for some, and I want you to know that I understand that, and that we understand that here at church today. I have my mother's Bible with me uh, this morning. It's uh, one of the only things that I have from her life. She really didn't have much when she passed. Uh, but she has this Bible that is just filled with underlined verses and notes. In fact, if you open it up, the very first open cover uh, or page in the front cover, the very first thing written down there, if you've been around here for any length of time, this will make sense. She went to my church when I was a pastor in Oklahoma. The first thing she has written is, when the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sins. So she was a good listener when she came to church. But one of the verses that uh, she has underlined is found in John chapter 16 and verse 33, and it's a promise from Jesus to his disciples. And it's a incredibly important promise given what they were about to experience because Jesus was about to be arrested and taken away to be crucified. And he looked at them in that tender moment, and in John 16, he said these words. This is from my mother's New American Standard Bible today. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. He had just given them several promises. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. And then he said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage I have overcome the world. Now, I love that verse. And one of the reasons why I love that verse is it reminds me that as we go through life, there is the story that we see. But if you live by faith, there's also the story that's still being written. And so for many, we would come to Mother's Day weekend and there's pain in our lives for a variety of different reasons. We may have wondered this morning whether we should even come to church today, whether we were going to be able to get through it. That's the story that we see, the emptiness, the longing, the pain. But Jesus promises us that there's a story that's still being written. He said, in this world you'll have trouble. That's the story you see. But take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. That's the story that's still being written. And I would encourage you to hang on to that today because God's story that is still being written is one that makes all things right and all things new. 
The second verse that I have here that is underlined in my mom's, my mom's Bible is Isaiah 41.10. And uh, it's a great verse of Scripture. I'm sure you've probably heard it before. And at the, in, in the uh, margin of her Bible, next to the promise here in Isaiah 41.10, she has written these words, promises, believe it. All this is underlined. Promises, believe it. And then she's written, God does not lie. And here's the promise. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Before Andrew comes up and shares a Mother's Day message with us, I want you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for our mothers and the opportunity to celebrate them. I recognize the brokenness, the longing, the pain that may be among some of us today. And I pray in the name of Christ that you would meet that with your grace and the promise of your presence and the promise of a better story than what we see today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said... Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Philbeck. I am uh, excited that I get to be here uh, with everyone today as we celebrate this special day uh, for mom, families, churches, organizations all over the country uh, are lifting up mom today, and that's a great thing. I'm glad we get to do that here uh, as well. I'm not a mom, never wanted to be a mom, so that worked out well for me. Um, my wife has the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, and I tell her all the time that I could not do that. I couldn't do what she does. Um, I love my kids. I think anyone with children knows, though, that even if you think they are little angels or whether you can see clearly and know that they're not, knows that being a stay-at-home uh, mom uh, is hard work, it's endless work, and it is thankless work. My wife has had the opportunity to stay home with our kids ever since we started having them, and all three of them have rewarded her for doing this by saying, Dad, first. They cry when I leave for work in the morning, and they run cheering to me when I come home. I don't know uh, whether or not she punishes them for this. I don't really want to know. Uh, it's hard work. It's, it's endless work. As I said, it's thankless work. One of the things that I have uh, heard about or heard about when I was younger and that I have gotten to experience uh, being in ministry is what my dad always calls the relentless return of the Sabbath. And it's just this thing that we, you know, kind of joke about. And basically, it's just the reality that Sunday or in our case, the weekend is always coming. Uh, for example, not that long ago, we had a great Easter weekend. We had a giant Easter egg hunt and everything involved with that. We had Good Friday services. We had Saturday night services. We had Sunday morning Easter services. And it was a blessing for all of us involved. And hopefully it was a blessing for everyone that came and participated in one way or another. But at the same time, when we get to work on Monday, there's not a whole lot of time to celebrate or relax because we just have to start getting ready for the next weekend. It's going to come here the same time, no matter what we do. Now, that's just an illustration from my own experience in ministry. I know that that kind of situation is not unique to ministry. I'm sure that many of you here today uh, have felt that or do feel that reality in your life or in your job. 
but at the same time, I can't imagine anyone feeling that more than a mother, that pressing need or feeling that you always have something else to do. And once you get one thing done, you need to move on to the next one. I feel like that's what I see, at least in my house. You know, as soon as one task is done, she has something else to do. And as soon as she finishes that task, she has to go back and redo the first one because her children have wrecked it up by then. Not that long ago, I came home from work and I I found my two oldest playing slash doing homework at the kitchen table. And Kara, my wife, was uh, cooking dinner slash playing slash helping with homework. And uh, with this distraction, so to speak, in place, my youngest son, Wyatt, was walking back and forth from our open back door to the living room where the clean laundry was piled, and he was picking up handfuls of laundry, carrying it to the back door, and throwing it outside. Uh, Kara had gotten the laundry clean, she'd gotten it set out to be folded later, but she had to take care of this stuff first, and so Wyatt thought it was this perfect opportunity to play his little game. And this is what I walked in on, and I had two thoughts cross my mind. The first one was very noble, you know, help, clean up, get him, help your wife. The second one was more simple. It said, pull out your phone and take a video of this. (laughs) Um, You can guess which one I did. see the pile that he uh, already had going for him out there, and he was determined to get every last little bit. Um, Eventually, I helped, and I stopped, and I cleaned up, and it was all fine. Um, But, you know, that's just just the reality that we live in today, you know? Uh, This is the reality that I believe many many moms live in today. Uh, I read online once that if you have a toddler... Trying to clean up after them is like trying to brush your teeth and eat an Oreo at the same time. Um, there's just no way to actually do it. Okay, and those, okay, those are just a few illustrations, a couple illustrations, you know, a little video from what things are like uh, in my house right now. I'm sure that many of you here have similar ones, uh, similar stories, depending on uh, what your experience was like, and you know, okay, it is frustrating to clean the laundry only to find it outside uh, after you're done with it. But at the same time, I also know that it's not, you know, that huge of a deal picking it up off of the back porch. We didn't clean it again, you know, just folding it, it's fine. Um, And putting it where it goes. It's not that big of a deal. And I say that because some mothers, you know, just to say bluntly, some mothers have it harder than others. some don't get to be a stay-at-home mom. I know that's not something that every uh, one desires, but some do and they don't get that opportunity. Some moms don't get a lot of help. Some moms just have a very difficult time. This morning, as we open up our text, we're going to spend some time with a mom who definitely fits that description. Go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 2, if you haven't already done that, Exodus chapter 2. The mom that we're going to be reading about and talking about and hopefully learning from this morning is a woman named Jochebed, and she was the mother of Moses. She's the mother of Moses. While you're finding your place there today, 
I want to say one thing quickly. The, the principles that we're going to talk about, the things that we're going to be reminded of or, or encouraged of, they certainly apply across the board to both parents or any guardian involved in raising a child. It, these are not exclusive to mom. But we are focusing on a mom's role this morning because of the special day that we're celebrating and because when you read our text in Exodus, as we'll do in just a moment, it is really Moses' mother, Jacobed, that is highlighted. She is the one that is focused on. She is the one that is talked about and gives us these great examples to follow. So all that being said, would you stand with me as we do each and every week for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket along the re- among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, even though the story of Moses is one of the most familiar stories from the Bible, I want to give you a little bit of of, uh, background information on this text. The reason that Moses' mother had to hide him was because Pharaoh had ordered all of the newborn Hebrew boys to be thrown into the Nile River as a means of population control. The Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians at this time in history. And God blessed them in spite of that hardship, and their population soared. It soared so much, in fact, that Pharaoh worried he would not be able to keep them under his thumb, so to speak. And so he came up with this terrible, terrible plan. Moses was born in a dangerous and a difficult time. And while we understand the reality that in our world, Uh, There's always danger, there's always uncertainty, there's always things beyond our control. I think we also can recognize the truth that some places and sometimes are much more difficult, much more dangerous than others, and that was certainly the case when it came to the time and place when Moses was born. This reality, rather dealing with this reality, brings me to the first point that I want to discuss today. So write this down in your notes, the priority of protection, the priority of protection These points, these principles, they're not exhaustive by any means, but I believe that they are valuable reminders that we all need to be encouraged with from time to time. So the first one is the priority of protection. This was the priority when Moses was born. Um, All of us are worried. I think all of us are worried about our children when they come into this world. 
but at the same time, the truth is, you know, the children born in our country, for example, certainly don't face the kind of danger and the kind of difficulty that was facing Moses when he was born. Now, I kind of want to pause for a moment, so to speak, and just mention this. Fair or unfair, we don't get many mentions of Moses' dad in Scripture. If you look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us simply that he was from the house of Levi, and that's all we see in Exodus chapter 2. If you continue reading and get to Exodus chapter 6, there's a bit of a genealogy there, and we learn from that that his name was Amram. And I say fair or unfair because when it comes to the story of Moses in Exodus and hiding Moses and caring for Moses and everything involved in this new baby's life, the book of Exodus has nothing to say about dad. It only talks about mom. Now, when you read Hebrews 11, verse 23, it does say this, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So, you know, truthfully, what all this means about Moses' father and his involvement in the life of this newborn baby boy, we don't really know. Maybe he was involved. Maybe he was there and a part of every aspect of the baby's life as much as he could be given the circumstances. Maybe, maybe he wasn't. Maybe the situation was taken out of his hands because of the reality that he was a slave. The truth is we just don't know for sure. But regardless of that, or regardless of whatever you may want to think about Moses' father and his place in all of this, what we do know is that Jochebed was responsible for protecting her new baby boy, and it was a task that she took to with her whole heart. Now, obviously, this priority of protection, this is a a point that falls under the responsibility of both parents, if that's the kind of household you live in. But at the same time, I think Jochebed truly stands out here because uh, we see in Exodus that uh, the extent of what she was willing to do for her son, you know, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got the basket, she coated it in a protective uh, layer of tar and pitch. She came up with the plan to put him in the Nile River, which we'll talk about more in a moment. And of course, you know, obviously these are extraordinary circumstances, Only in extraordinary circumstances would we think of putting a baby adrift in a basket down a river as protection, but that's exactly what was going on here, and Jochebed arose to that occasion. She did not delegate her responsibility. She did not abdicate her responsibility. The truth is moms can't do that. I think there's a reason, you know, we talk about some women, some mothers being mama bears, And you might think it's a little bit, um, I don't know, not the best to describe a woman in the Bible as a mama bear, but uh, whether or not you think it's appropriate, I don't think it's necessarily incorrect to look at the the things Jochebed was willing to do for her new son and, and to have that image come to mind. What does this look like for us today? Well, okay, of course, the the priority of of physical protection is always going to be there, no matter where we live, no matter when our children are born or anything like that. That's always going to be huge. But at the same time, we also have the the priority, excuse me, of protecting uh, our children's hearts and our mind, their minds as well. Children are crafty, and and I know that anyone uh, with a child or been around a child for any length of time knows this because they can seem, or rather be, completely oblivious to you. 
when you're calling their name or trying to get them to help you or to clean their room or to have them eat something that's actually good for them. And they have this uncanny ability to completely ignore the sound of your voice in any given moment. But at the same time, they're sponges for the world around them and they can soak up things and talk about things. Or in my house, they can sing songs and quote movies or TV shows that I didn't think they were even paying attention to. This speaks to the reality that we, we need to we need to be able to protect our kids in a lot of different ways. And listen, I'm not going to get into to great detail about this because I'm not talking about sheltering our children from the reality of the world. And I realize that there is a very real balancing act here. And lots of decisions that have to be made are made depending on the child's maturity. They're depending on the child's age and home life and things like that. And I'm not going to try to speak into every single situation that people face, but moms, parents, we have to know our children so that we can manage these situations, whatever they are. Have you ever found an old movie, for example, that you remember watching as a kid, and so you watched it as an adult, and about halfway through the movie, you think, why on earth did my parents ever let me see this? I think we all know what that's like on some level or another. I think that's, you know, it may not be the world's greatest example, but I think that's a good example that speaks to the reality where we need to know our kids, know what they can handle, know what they understand, know what they don't understand, know what will make an impression in their lives. You know, we, we need to protect them not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally and, of course, spiritually. We can do this by paying attention to what they do and what they're exposed to. We have to, to make protection a priority. And sometimes it is, is blatantly obvious, and other times it does require a little bit of discernment. And we handle that by knowing our kids and spending time with our kids. Something a mother has a great opportunity to take advantage of, really no matter what her situation is. Write this down next to number two. The priority of planning. The priority of planning. If we go back to the story of Moses, we know that his mother couldn't keep him a secret forever. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know the specifics about where they lived. I don't know how all of this worked. If there were soldiers just wandering around randomly looking for baby boys. I don't know how often Egyptians came through. Uh, the truth is, I think it's amazing that Jacobet was able to keep this boy a secret at all, let alone for three months. But regardless of how she did it, she came to a place where she knew she couldn't, she couldn't hide him forever. Whatever she was doing wouldn't work forever, and so she had to come up with another plan. We read this in verses 3 and 4. But when she could hide him no longer, she got up a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and we know this, this is an extraordinary thing to do. And I don't think it's completely unfair to look at this plan and think, that might not be the world's greatest plan. Um, and while I understand that, I really do, honestly, what it all comes down to, and this is where I think I really appreciate what she did, Moses' mom understood that she couldn't sit back and do nothing. She couldn't sit back and do nothing. No doubt she knew this was a dangerous plan. 
No doubt she knew this was very dangerous for her son, but she also knew that it gave him a chance. There was hope that he would live. This coupled with the reality that she knew he would die if she continued to try and hide him, no doubt spurred her to action. And so we read this and we think, well, why, why did she do this? What compelled her to, to make this choice? I mean, as a slave, she wouldn't have had a lot of options to begin with. Maybe she thought that somehow hiding him in the river for a time would buy her some time and that she would be able to come up with a better plan down the road. Maybe that's why Moses' sister was kind of keeping an eye on him to see what would happen. Maybe, maybe though, every single thing that she hoped for actually happened. You know, she couldn't control the outcome of the situation, but maybe she did everything she could possibly do to create an opportunity for Moses to be found, adopted, and saved. I mean, we don't know how long he was in the river before he was spotted. Maybe, maybe his mom set him close to a royal bathing area on purpose. Maybe she knew where Egyptian women would be, and she knew his only hope was in the hands of an Egyptian woman, and so she created that opportunity. She did every single thing that she could do to give her newborn son a chance. We can speculate tonight, or excuse me, this morning about all of that, of course, but at the same time, we do need to take a step back, so to speak, and acknowledge the reality that God had bigger plans for Moses. We, we read this story, and we know that it is just the beginning of God working in Moses' life, but I also think there's a danger of being a little bit too dismissive of Moses' mom when we do that. Because it doesn't change the, the emotional hardship that she faced and the difficult decisions that she made and the fear of just not knowing what was going to happen. She took a huge risk for her son, and we need to understand that as well. So here's the question we asked this morning. Do you have a plan for your children? Do you have a plan for your children? I'm not, again, I'm not talking about controlling anyone's life or anything like that, but I'm talking about planning for the future. Do you have a plan to protect them so that they can mature and grow in a healthy way? Do you have a plan to connect them to God so that they can have a strong foundation in their lives to stand on when it comes to their relationship with God? Do you have a plan to give them a chance to succeed by helping foster and create opportunities for them? Do you have a plan to even step back and get out of their way so that they can learn on their own once that foundation has been laid? When we, when we plan for our kids, it helps us to make a lot of decisions in advance and it keeps us from reacting to situations unexpectedly. And of course, we can't plan for every possible outcome but that shouldn't stop us from planning for whatever we can. Number three, write this down. The priority of preparation. The priority of preparation. After, Mo, uh, excuse me, after Pharaoh's daughter discovered Moses in the Nile, I want us to read our text one last time to remember what happened. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. 
Now, this isn't the end of Moses' story by any means, but when you think of, of this section of Moses' story, and when you think about Moses' mom, you have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge the incredible journey that this has been so far. To endure everything that she endured for three months of keeping him a secret, only to set him adrift down the Nile River in order to give him a chance to survive, only then to have him return to her so that she could nurse him and raise him and to be paid for it on top of that. It's incredible. We know, though, that she could not hold on to him forever. And while, of course, letting go of him yet again was going to be an extremely difficult thing, I believe we see in the priority of preparation here, this last point, the reality that she made the most of her extra time with Moses. I believe we can infer some of this by looking at the rest of Moses' life. I believe that his mom was with him long enough to instill some values in him that he could not get anywhere else. If you cheat a little bit and look ahead just to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, the very next verse, the beginning of this, says, uh, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Now, I think Moses knew that he was a Hebrew, that he knew he was not an Egyptian for a couple of reasons. I think, one, he knew that because of his time in Pharaoh's, uh, with Pharaoh's family. I think they made sure. They made sure that he knew while he was adopted, while he had special treatment, he was not Egyptian. But I also think more than that, he knew who he was because of his time with his mother. He knows who his people are. He knows what that means concerning the one true God. Jacobet was able to shape his character in a way only a mother can. Hopefully all of us want great things for our kids. And I can only imagine in the case of, of Jacobet after hiding him and then setting him adrift and getting him back and, and knowing that she was going to have to give him up again, that she, in the brief time they had together, she poured her life and she poured her faith into him as much as she could. And so then we jump ahead to Hebrews 11 and we read these amazing words. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I believe all of this started with Moses' mom. I believe all of this began with Moses' time at home with his mom. The foundation that she was able to lay is what connected him to God in such a way that he was able to withstand the trials and the temptations, uh, the, the pleasure, the wealth, the fame, the position that even though, yes, he was adopted, would still have been afforded to him on some level as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We can never underestimate the impact of a mom. It's no surprise that my sister and I went to church all the time growing up. 
And the truth is, it's my mom that I remember bearing the brunt of that work, just, just going to church as one brief example. You know, my dad often had to leave before us. He had to be the first one there. Uh, when it came to uh, the church in Texas and especially the early years of our church in Oklahoma, you know, he was the one opening up everything and helping set up everything. That's just the, the way that it was. And so my mom had to get all of us ready for church, me and my sister. And I'm sure you know this morning that getting kids ready for church is not the easiest thing to do in the world. And I'm old enough to remember my mom getting us ready for Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, and Wednesday night church. I mean, kids today, they don't know how easy they have it, am I right? (laughs) The reality is, though, growing up in the church is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And while I understand, I do, I understand that being a pastor's son creates a unique experience for me given my dad's role within the church. All I can say to you this morning is this, there's, there's something special about mom, her role in all of this, her example, her faithfulness. My dad has shared enough family history, for those of you who have been here to hear it, to know the influence that moms have had on our family's faith journey. He's talked about how it all started with his grandmother. And while, yeah, there were mistakes along the way, the foundation was laid that God was important and church was important and this was the priority. He's spoken several times about his own mom and her role in faithfulness as an example for him and his brothers and sisters. I look to my own mom as that same example, and I know that my children look to their mom as well. There is just something special about mom. Moms, don't ever underestimate the power of your role in the lives of your children. Don't ever underestimate the power of your role in the lives of your children. Don't ever get discouraged or think that you're just there to do busy work or dirty work or anything like that. You have the ability to influence them in a way no one else ever will. And and the truth is it doesn't matter what kind of family situation you're in, whether or not you think it's ideal, whether or not you think it's less than ideal. As a mother, you have a unique role created by God. So my encouragement to you as one who has always had the influence of a godly mother in his life, is to take advantage of that. Take advantage of that as best you can.